You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. I'd love for you, please, to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to look at today verses 19 to 30. Philippians 2, verses 19 to 30. Uh, if, this is your, if this is your first time joining us here at Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara, then I'm so glad you're here. Warm welcome to you. I don't know what brought you here, but I'm so glad you're here, and I hope you feel welcomed and that you can see that Jesus is the difference here among us. And if you're joining us online, so glad that you are here and with us and uh, that you will be tracking with us. Turn in your Bible to, to Philippians 2. We are in a teaching series. We've kind of been in and out of it. There's a few different things going on, but we are back into our teaching series in the book of Philippians, and it's called To Live is Christ. Uh, that's not really a, an original title. It comes right out of the book. Essential, a theme, essential purpose in the book of Philippians is that God's people indeed would live for Jesus, that he would be first in all things. And uh, so that's where we are here uh, in our, our series in Philippians. And just as, you, <clears throat> uh, just as you're turning the air, I just want to take one brief second to say uh, uh, just how great of a time we had with the men this weekend. Men, wasn't this a great time yesterday and Friday night? Absolutely, a free indeed. We had our uh, men's conference free indeed, and so such a great time in God's Word and great, great fellowship. Really want to express my deep appreciation for, uh, for uh, Pastor Brett Patterson and Lewis Hutton and Rich Gadrow, who, uh, who were key organizers behind the scenes. Thank you so much, brothers, for your work, for Pastor Alec and his worship team, and the tech folks, uh, Martin and company. Thank you so much for, uh, for helping us just to have a great time and really to meet with the Lord. Good. Okay, I got that. Now listen, there was a man in the early church who you could say was a standout servant. The Apostle Paul said this about him. The Apostle Paul called him a brother. He said he's a fellow co-worker and a fellow soldier for Christ. Like we're, we're on mission together. He said of him that he nearly died working for Christ, and that he risked his life for Jesus. Paul said of this man that his local church should receive him with rejoicing and honor people like him. Now, it gets me to think, you think about that, and I wonder if, if you got any guesses, like, what do you think this man did? Like, what do you think that he did? I mean, he, he must have done something spectacular in the service of Christ, right, to, to receive those kinds of accolades. Like, you wonder, what did he do? Did he, did he, uh, did he take on the religious establishment? Did he, did he debate the hostile crowds in the synagogue? Did he, did he appear before Caesar or, or before the Roman guard? Did he, did he get hauled into the Colosseum? Did he stare down an angry mob? What did he do to get these kinds of accolades, these kinds of words? Well, he didn't do any of those things. What he did was he, he did this. He ran an errand for his church. He ran an errand for his church. His errand was to visit Paul in prison, to take provision for him, to encourage him, and to do whatever errands Paul needed him to do when he was there. He received great accolades, and what he did was he ran errands. His name was Epaphroditus. And as you think about why would somebody running errands receive such accolades, we realize it's because of this. 
That Epaphroditus possessed the kind of character that God is looking for in people he is pleased to use. See, if a church is going to be healthy and effective and growing, if we're going to share and spread hope to our community, to our nation, then it needs people like Epaphroditus with godly character and selflessness. We want to be a church that advances the gospel. We want to be a church where we see souls saved and families flourishing and marriages strengthened. If we want to be a church where missionaries are sent and churches are planted, then we're going to have to have a body of people who are like this, who are like Epaphroditus. You see, a major barrier to blessing is sin. And one of, the, one of the most common sins that holds us back is self and self-centeredness. It doesn't matter, really, loved ones, if we're called Harvest or Hope or even Happy Rolfs, for all, that, for all that matters. We can call ourselves anything, but if we aren't a people, if we aren't a church whose people are equipped with Christ-like character, we will be a big, fat, stinking zero when it comes to our mission. And so... So people like Epaphroditus are people for us to pay attention to. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, he addressed a church that had, just like ours, an amazing 10-year history. They probably, around their 10th anniversary, they had seen God do great things that take them from nothing to really something. They'd experienced remarkable growth and overall good health. But there was trouble brewing in their midst. There was internal dissension. There was some friction amongst the believers. There was some infighting. And what Paul exposes in Philippians is that the root of the trouble was a preoccupation with self, self-centeredness and, and pride. That's why back in 1 and 27, Paul said he pleaded with them to, to let their lives be worthy of the gospel. He said, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let it be fitting. And we saw, we saw like 10 years ago when we were in that passage, we saw that, that it, was about, it was about being on mission together being united on mission. But if you're going to be united in mission, then you got to be united in fellowship. And so in chapter 2, he really focuses on that, on being united in fellowship. And what's key there, what's essential to unity is humility. Humility, a, a selflessness, a, a lowliness, a humility that's just like Jesus. And you remember in chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, after calling the people directly to humility, uh, Paul presents to the people the perfect, the ultimate example of humility, the work, the, the person of Jesus Christ, who, in, who humbled himself, being incarnate, coming into the world, taking on flesh, who, who was obedient to his Father, even to the point of death, even death on a cross, Paul says. He presents him with Jesus. Then Paul even presents himself as an example. In verse 17, he talked about being poured out as a drink offering. He said, you know, even if I am poured out, whatever the cost, it's worth it if Christ is glorified and the church is edified. You see, Paul addresses the root causes of division, namely pride and selflessness and selfishness, by calling the people to gospel humility. And he presents these awesome examples. The example, firstly and foremostly, of Jesus, but then also truly of himself. 
Now, you can imagine what it might be like to be those first believers there, who, or those believers in Philippi, those first readers who, who read this text, and they get, they're called to, to humility, and Paul gives them this, this perfect example of humility and what it looks like. And we would forgive them if we can imagine them reading that and saying, okay, Paul, you've given us these two great examples, and they are great examples, but the first one is Jesus, the Son of God, and the second one is you, the Apostle Paul. Like the, the, the chosen apostle for the Gentiles. This seems to us to just be a little bit beyond our reach, isn't it? So what does Paul do? He's sort of like he says, all right, I'll give you two more examples. I'll give you two more examples of what you might call ordinary Christians, just like y'all. Ordinary Christians who show you what it's like. And those two ordinary Christians was a man named Timothy and a man named Epaphroditus. Both were well known to the Philippians. Timothy was the protege of their church planter, Paul. Epaphroditus was one of the members of their church. They were ordinary, they were ordinary uh, Christians with exemplary character. And together, they show you and I the kind of character that God delights to use. I want you to see it for yourself. Look at verse 19. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus... To send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. So Timothy's with Paul, and Paul's saying here, I'm, I'm hoping to send Timothy to you, to visit you, to minister to you. And he says in verse 20, like, why Timothy? Why are you sending Timothy? For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. In other words, you know him. Right? I've given you the example of Jesus, who you know, by the way. I've given you the example of me, but I'm also giving you the example of Timothy. It's Timothy. You know him. You know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as, I, as soon as I see how it will go for me. Now, we could, we could imagine all day What's, what Paul is, what's happening here that, that Timothy, uh, that Paul believes Timothy needs to stay with him. Maybe Timothy's just ministry to him is so vital to encourage him. Maybe Timothy's helping Paul with his legal issues. Remember, Paul is in jail here for the gospel. Uh, we don't know. We don't know. But, Timothy, but Paul's like, I, I need to see how this is going to go for me, and then I can send Timothy. And then he says, verse 24, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will also come. In other words, I want to come visit you too. I have, though, verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Now, just pause right here to say that Epaphroditus is, what's happened here is, is Epaphroditus is a member of the church of Philippi, and as we understand the story of Philippians, he was a member in that church, and the Philippian believers heard about Paul in prison, were distressed about it, and, and knew that Paul was going to need help. He's going to need provision. Prison wasn't paid for. You paid for it. And so he, need, they, he needed provision, and they knew he would be discouraged, and he would need support. And so they're like, we've got to help Paul. How are we going to do it? Okay, well, there was no Amazon or UPS in those days, right? So we got to send somebody. Well, who's going to go? Well, Epaphroditus is the one that's going to go. He volunteers for the job, and, and he's going to go, and he's going to take, listen, what would have been a 40-day journey to travel all the way to Rome to see Paul and to minister to him, 
And that's what he did. He was a messenger. He was a messenger. How, how we know, I mean, how Paul, I think, probably knew a lot of things that was happening at the church of Philippi is because Epaphroditus told him. I also think that this letter of Philippians was sent back to the church of Philippi in Epaphroditus' pocket. Okay, so this is the guy that he was. This is what he means when he says, he was your messenger and minister to my need. So what's the deal here? He's been, he's been longing for them, for he has been longing for you, verse 26. He's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. That's pretty ill. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm already in prison and sorrowful. Imagine if I lost Epaphroditus. Oh, Verse 28, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. It's not hard to imagine Epaphroditus showing up back home early, and the church and the elders say, what are you doing back? What are you doing here? Ah, uh, Paul sent me home. He sent you home? What did you do? Well, he just read the letter. It's in there. Oh, you nearly died. Oh, well, that changes things, right? So Paul is, Paul is explaining to them why he's coming back probably sooner than expected. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and, notice, honor such men. Why? For he nearly died, notice, for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Here we've got two examples and what I see here, I've identified four qualities in these men, four qualities that these men possessed that God wants us to have, that's vital to have if we're to be effective and fruitful for Him. What kind of a person is it that God is pleased to use, that He delights to use? First of all, God delights to use people who are others-oriented, who are others-oriented. Remember what Paul said about Timothy, verse 20, I have no one like him. There's probably people that I could call upon to go and to minister to you, but I've got no one like Timothy who is genuinely concerned for your welfare, like truly, sincerely, really, actually cares about you and your welfare. And of course, in a Christian context, your welfare has to do with your walk with God. You're growing in Christ. You're loving one another. You're being on mission about Jesus being the center of everything in your life. He, Timothy cares deeply about your welfare. Let me ask you, do you care deeply about the welfare of your church? Do you care deeply, genuinely, sincerely? Are you burdened? Do you truly, honestly, sincerely care about the health and the well-being of the people sitting around you. Not just the physical health, I mean the spiritual health and the spiritual vitality. Not just success in business or in school, but success in following Jesus and bearing fruit for him. After all, that is what will last. You burdened for that. Well, Timothy was. In a word, Timothy loved the Philippian believers. He loved them. Well, that's what Jesus calls us to, isn't it? He says, all people will know you're my disciples, John 13, if you have love for one another. It's a defining mark of our discipleship, that we show genuine care. And of course, genuine care doesn't just consist of words, but in affection and action toward others. 
He deeply cared. So you can imagine Timothy. Probably, Paul probably heard many times in praying with Timothy. Heard him praying for the Philippians and probably got the report from Epaphroditus about what's going on there. Like, oh man, you mean Yodi and Syntyche are not getting along? They're fighting? Those two sisters? Oh no, God say it. And so we must pray about this. And, and how are they doing? And are they on mission? And what about the persecution that's going on there? And he probably heard Timothy asking questions and praying about it and weighing on him and probably came up again and again in conversation. You can just imagine as Paul and Timothy talk as he visits in prison, bringing the conversation back to the Philippians. And Paul, as he thinks about sending someone to minister to them, he's like, I got no one like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. Oh, that we would be a church of men and women who genuinely care about the welfare of our church. And Epaphroditus, he was no different. Did you notice that back in verse uh, 26? So remember, dude got sick and nearly died. And the single greatest concern he has is not his own recovery, and boy, I hope I don't get that again, but it's his church. He says in verse 26, he's been longing for you all and has been distressed. Interesting thing about that word distressed there in verse 26. It's used, it's also, it was in our, it was in the text that we were in last week. Remember when Jesus was in Gethsemane? And it said that he was deeply troubled. Same word in the Greek. Same word in the Greek. In a sense similar to Jesus being distressed about taking upon himself the sins of the world. Epaphroditus is distressed, troubled, concerned about his church and how they're feeling. And he's thinking, oh man, word's gotten back to them that I was sick. They're going to be so upset with themselves. They're going to be crying out saying, why did we send Epaphroditus? And, uh, and they're going to be feeling bad. He's like, I don't want them to feel like that. I don't want them to worry. And, and he's, just, he's just consumed with them. And so Paul's looking for someone to send this letter back and says, it may as well be you. You, you need to go back. So you will, we will all be a little less anxious. And the people will see that you're okay, and you will see that they're okay. But you see the heart of Epaphroditus? Man, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, breakfast, lunch, dinner, concerned about the Lord's people. Loved ones, God delights to use people who are like that. You want to be used of God? You want to be effective, fruitful? Want to make your life count for Him? It's critical that you and I be others-oriented. I have to be honest, it's not my natural bent. If I'm being truthful to you, as I reflect on my life, most situations, most circumstances, my first thought is often about me. How does this affect me? What's this going to mean for me? What is it that I would really like here? How is this change going to reflect upon me? What's this going to do to me? What's this going to cost me? And as you hear that, you must be thinking to yourself, I don't think he's a very good pastor. You might not be wrong. But my spidey sense tells me that I might not be the only one with that kind of problem. Loved ones, we want to be people who God uses. We must be others-oriented. Now, here's the hope. Here's the good news. Remember what we said a few weeks ago, Philippians 2 and 13, after Paul says, work out your salvation, be the people that God's saved you to be. 
He then says, for God works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So here's a big piece of good news. You think about being others-oriented. God, if you were in Christ right now, God is at work in you, helping you to do that. To loosening the grip of self to give you an other's orientation, just like Jesus, just like Paul, just like Timothy, just like Epaphroditus. Now, I like practical things. I like things to do. So I have some suggestions for you. One thing you can do if you look at your life and you're like, you know, far too often my first and main consideration is me. One thing you can do is pray about it. Do you know something? God will not be shocked when you acknowledge to him that you've got a selfish problem, right? Like he won't be, he won't like drop his plates in heaven like, what? You selfish? You just think of you? I never knew that about you. Oh, my esteem of you has so changed. God's not going to be like that. It will do your soul good to acknowledge that to him, but it will also do your soul good to plead with him to help you to change. Lord, help me to think of others Pray about it. Read about it. Read texts like this. Reflect on texts like this. These texts are given to us like this by the Holy Spirit to affect the change. In fact, that's one of the, main, one of the major ways that God works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. He uses his word to change us. I also think, too, we can do practical things like this. Like, look for people. Look for people and look at people. Even when you come here to a gathering like this, Maybe you might notice that there's somebody who's not here today that you normally see. Maybe you want to reach out to them. Look at the people around you to see them, to see the people, to see people who God loves, who Jesus died for, to see them. When you ask somebody, how are you, or how I say, how are you, really mean it. Like linger long enough for an answer. Maybe say it in a way that indicates, no, I'm actually, if I wanted to say hello, I would just say hi. Well, I'm asking you, how are you? And I have to say, just pause here. There's so many of you in this church that are so good at this. I'm so blessed by that, by people asking, you know, how are you? But like, oh no, you're really asking. My trouble is that sometimes I don't want to tell. But I sure feel loved when somebody shows me they care. Care enough to ask and care enough to linger for an answer. I find things like this are practical Write a card for someone, like an old-fashioned card, you know, like a, a thing you buy and you take a pen and you write on it. And then there's this system. I don't know if you knew about this. There's a system where you can stick that in an envelope and put a sticker on it, and some people take it and deliver it, like physically deliver it to a person. Did you know that that exists? Isn't it so cool when you get something like that? You hold in your hand. Or you could send a text message. To send a note to, send, to tell somebody that you're thinking of them and that they matter to the Lord. Make a phone call. You remember it's somebody's birthday, somebody's anniversary, someone's got a big exam? Call them. Text them. Phone your wife this week for no other reason than to tell you you're thinking of her. Tell your husband something that you respect about him. Trust me. He'll love it. Take time to pray with someone. In person or on the phone, or just let them know that you did. Others-oriented. These are the kinds of things that we can do to cultivate an others orientation. And when we do that, when we're others-oriented, it fosters unity. And God is pleased with that unity, and he blesses that unity and makes that unity a fruitful unit. And God delights to use people 
who are others-oriented. But not just others-oriented, also people who are Christ-centered. Christ-centered. God delights, he is pleased to use people who are Christ-centered. Notice in verse 21, there's two things there. Verse 21, for they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. See those two things? There's like the seeking of my own interests, and then there's the interests of Jesus Christ. And in Paul's mind here, one competes against the other. Self-interest, selfish interest versus the interests of Jesus Christ. All seek their own interests. In other words, he looks around him and he sees so many who are consumed with self and what's temporal. They're, they're living and pursuing the, uh, uh, personal needs and personal fulfillment. And not those of Jesus Christ. In other words, not the things that Jesus cares about. What are the things that Jesus cares about? You know the things that you care about. What are the things that Jesus cares about? Well, he cares about lost souls. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus has a heart, a broken heart for the lost. He cares about the lost. Do you care about the lost? See, if you're Christ-centered, the more you are Christ-centered, the more you will be burdened for lost people who need Jesus. What does Jesus care about? Well, he cares about the salvation of souls. He also cares about the sanctification of saints. Jesus said, I will build my church. And I take that to mean including adding to the church and building up the church, that the church is, is edified. He cares about his blood-bought sheep. Think about that. You and I, this church, we are his blood-bought sheep. Jesus cares about the people he died to save. He cares about you. Isn't that a wonderful thought, too? But it's also a challenge. If I'm going to be Christ-centered, I need to be a person whose my, my interests become more and more Jesus' interests, or his interests become more and more mine. Do you care about the lost? Do you care about the Lord's sheep? Is Jesus central, or is he to the side? See, Timothy had Jesus at the center. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Timothy could say the same thing, too. For me to live is Christ. Timothy's aim, his goal, his desire, his passion was that Jesus would be loved, that Jesus would be believed, that he be worshipped, that he be proclaimed. What about you? Is that what fires you up? Is that your ambition? Is that what thrills your soul that Jesus is worshipped? For some of you it is. Timothy wanted his body to be a tool in the hands of of God for the glory of Jesus. He derived joy and gladness from Jesus being honored. Do you derive joy and gladness from Jesus being honored? Some of you do. And the more and more you and I are Christ-centered, the more you and I will be useful to the master because we'll have, listen, we'll have his interests at the fore. And again, remember the good news in this is this isn't, it's not up to us just to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Be Christ-centered! Come on, be Christ-centered! It's not going to happen by that, but it will happen by the work of the Spirit in our hearts. Because remember, God works in you to will and to work for His good pleasure. So He's working in you, even right now, to move you from being self-centered to being Christ-centered. And refreshing your affections for things that He has affections for. Affections for him. God delights to use people who are Christ-centered. In other words, loved ones, my, my life must be ordered around him. 
He, he cannot be on the side. He cannot, Jesus could not be my hobby. Some of you have a hobby, maybe you like fishing or hockey or, I don't know, cars or, well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't really, I kind of like, somebody asked me recently, what's your hobbies? And I'm like, I don't know if I have any right now. My hobby is, just, I guess, kind of family, and that sounds all noble, but it just sounds like, actually, really is, I just don't really have a life, actually, really. It's kind of it. My hobby, Leanne, like, we like hanging out, hanging out, chilling, maxing all, relaxing all, shooting some b-ball out of school. Bottom line is, that wasn't in my notes, by the way. That happens sometimes. Remember Work It Girl? Yeah, that wasn't in there either. The reality is, is that for many here, sadly, sadly here, we're Christian in name, but is Christ at the center? Are we Christian? If you're Christian, it means you're a follower of Jesus. So that Jesus is the center. That he, he is the one I'm following. I'm walking in his steps. But I find, and maybe you do too, that sometimes way can lead on to way. And Christ goes from being the center to being the side. If we want to be useful to him. One of a healthy, vibrant church. If we want to be a church that is on mission, spreading hope, we must be Christ-centered, others-oriented, Christ-centered, just like Timothy, just like Epaphroditus. Third thing I see in these men that's instructive for us is that God delights to use people who are committed to the gospel who are committed to the gospel. Look at what Paul says about Timothy in verse 22. You know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So notice firstly, his proven worth. Proven worth means he's been tested, tried, tested, and shown true. He, he, has, he has done it. He shows himself to be real, the real deal. It's one thing to say to live as Christ, but it's another thing to slog it out through opposition and hardships and hunger and sleeplessness and financial strain and health difficulties and seasons of drought and discouragement. It's one thing to call your, to say of yourself, for me to live as Christ is another thing to live for Christ for the long haul. But Timothy did that. That's what Paul means when he talks about his proven worth. And the manifestation of his proven worth, of having demonstrated, of having been proven over time, the manifestation of that is in his commitment to the gospel. And notice he says that, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the father, he served me in the gospel. So we've talked about being others-oriented, Christ-centered. We could say gospel-focused. Or just for clarity, being people, God delights to use people who are committed to the gospel. Timothy had demonstrated himself to be no flash in the pan. He had proven character in that in the long haul, he was about preaching the gospel, applying the gospel, believing the gospel, commending the gospel, resting in the gospel. If we want to be effective, loved ones, we need to be about one thing, one thing, one, one thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the problem is, is that when you're about two, three, four, and five things, you get spread thin, and your interests are divided. As a, I'm not sure if this is a male thing, but for me, I find that I can only really do well one thing at a time. I can chew gum and do other things at the same time, but I don't do well. Now, mind you, I'm married to somebody who's got remarkable capacities to do multiple things at the same time. I'm like, how do you do that? How do you, it's just, I don't know. 
wife powers, mom powers, I guess, woman powers. But even, even the most remarkable women among us would acknowledge that if you really want to do something well, you've got to focus. And the reality is, is that we are called to focus. We're called to one, one thing, one thing, the main thing, to be on mission for the gospel, to believe it, to be adorned by it, to be unwavering from it. When other things, and they could be good other things even, temporal, secondary, take away from the main thing, it waters down and reduces our effectiveness and fruitfulness about the main thing. And I find, maybe you, maybe you don't, I do, I find that those secondary temporal things just have a way of becoming the main thing. So that the main thing is now a side thing. And that won't get it done. See, in God's economy, he delights to use people who are committed to the gospel. That's what Timothy was. That's what Epaphroditus was. Epaphroditus nearly died in the service of Jesus. Timothy, Timothy was on mission in one thing. He had proven himself over time to be committed to the gospel, to gospel ministry. That's what you and I need, loved ones. Do you have that? Pray for it. Now, here again is the hope. To be gospel-focused, that doesn't come naturally. doesn't come naturally. I didn't just wake up this morning and go, oh, I'm gospel-focused now. No, no, it's, it's God working in me to will and to work for his good pleasure. So he's working that in me. Even at the preaching of his word right now, he's working that in you to refine you. To Yeah, it's got to be about one thing. There's other things that are good things and maybe acceptable things. But there's one thing I've got to be about. That's the kind of people we're called to be. And that's the kind of church that God's going to use to spread hope. God delights, God delights to use people who are others-oriented, Christ-centered, committed to the gospel or gospel-focused, finally, fourthly, finally, God delights to use people who are willing to sacrifice in his service. And that's just what I, comes to mind when I read about Epaphroditus. He's got lots of things in common with Timothy. I think all those things. He is others-oriented. He's torn up about his church. He nearly died. Yeah, but what about my church? He was, was he, was he, uh, uh, was he sorry, what was the second thing? Christ-centered? Absolutely. He nearly died for the work of Christ. Was he gospel-focused, committed to the gospel? Indeed, he was there on gospel ministries. He had all those things, but we also see in him, quite clearly, I think, a willingness to sacrifice. Verse 30, he nearly died for the work of Christ. When Epaphroditus left his church at Philippi, he didn't know he was going to get sick, but I guarantee you this, he knew that this was not going to be easy. Remember I said, uh, scholars estimate that it would have taken Epaphroditus 40 days to make his journey from Philippi to Rome. Imagine if we laid hands on you today and said, we need you to make a 40-day journey. How long do I got to be there? As long as you need to be there. When can I come home? Whenever Paul says you can come home. Imagine the kind of sacrifice that would call for in your life. Think about it. What kinds of arrangements would you have to make? What kinds of, what kinds of things would you be giving up to go and fulfill that kind of gospel ministry. Well, Epaphroditus did, and I don't know much about him or his family or his businesses or lack there. I don't know. But when this church laid hands on him, he didn't know he was going to get sick. But he knew it was going to cost him. Beloved ones, I suspect that Epaphroditus had already decided on that long before he said, I'll go. Because it occurs to me that Epaphroditus seems to have been the man who was already living this. 
sacrificially. Otherwise, do you think the church would send him? It's like, you, you, you don't ever do anything. You can go do this. Take all this money, be a blessing to Paul, right? Can you imagine? Paul's like, who are you? No, no. They love Paul. They sent their best. God delights to use people who are willing to sacrifice in his service. My dear friends, your answer to one question will determine your willingness to sacrifice for Christ. It's this. Is he worth it? A number of years ago, I'm smiling because Leanne loves this story. It brings tears to her eyes, laughing tears to her eyes. A number of years ago, I was with a buddy of mine, and we were, it, was a, it had been a lot of snow, like what we had had, a ton of snow. And we were out on this long country road, and we realized that we made a wrong turn. And I was like, no problem, Roscoe. That's my nickname. No problem, Roscoe. I'll just do a three-pointer right here. Well, he just wheels. We're in his little Mazda pickup truck. And he just, he just wheels around and aims us, you know, to do the old three-point turn. But when we got toward the edge of the road, the truck slid down into the ditch. And it came to a stop. So we're down in the ditch. Again, it's a little Mazda pickup truck. Was there weight in the back of the truck? No, there wasn't. We were young adults. We didn't think of that. We're out there in a country road. Put it in, put it in reverse. We're not going anywhere. The thing is stuck there. And we both look at each other. We're just frickin' frack sitting in this truck looking at each other. What are we going to do now? Now, I'm looking at the situation here. We're like, I mean, I, I could get out and push. But I could see there was still a bit of a gap between where the truck had come to a stop and the snowbank. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get out there. I'll get in front of this vehicle. He'll move something or change something. That truck will let go, and I'll get pinned in the snowbank. And quite frankly, not worth it to me. Not worth it. So he did what every man would do in that situation. He got out his phone and called roadside assistance. He's on roadside assistance with somebody trying to explain to them where Yelverton, Ontario was, somebody who's probably in another continent. And as he's on this conversation explaining the situation that we're stuck and the, the conditions and all this kind of stuff, there's a vehicle coming down the road and it pulls up to where we are and stops. Person gets out, tall person, big boots, big coat. They trudge over toward our vehicle. They go down into the ditch. They put their sizable, impressively sizable hands on the, hood of the, on the hood of the truck and yell, put it in reverse! Now, at this point, I'm thinking, I should probably get out. <laughs> so I open the door and get down in the ditch. And I, if I remember right, I did put my hands on the hood at least. Billy puts her in reverse, hits the gas. We back up out of the ditch, save the day. So we thanked her. Sorry, men. Sorry. I know. I'm still repenting. Told the guy in roadside assistance that we're all good now. <laughs> Very kind lady just pushed us out of the snowbank. I'm sure the guy in roadside assistance was like, what? The reason that I did not go down in the ditch is because to me the risk was not worth it. When it comes to gospel ministry, the question on the table is, is Jesus worth the risk? The risk of cost of time, because it will cost. Of treasure, 
because it requires, he, he's given us these things to give of talent, of all kinds of sacrifices that may involve friendships that you don't have as much time for or who don't want time for you. Rejection, going outside the camp, the scripture says. The Lord Jesus may call us to uproot and to go to other places where he is not known. That's a tremendous sacrifice. He might call us to it, but you know what? He delights to use people who are willing, who are willing. I don't know what he's going to call you and I to give up. I don't know. But I do know there are some things that we will be called to give up, that we are being called to give up, starting with self. And the question on the table that you and I have to answer is, is he worth it? For those who are here today or watching online who don't know Jesus, I think it's really important for you to see that becoming a Christian involves you recognizing that Jesus is precious and we love him. Like, this isn't a religion as far as religions go. It is a relationship, but not merely a relationship. It is living for and being given over to and trusting in and resting the whole weight of my confidence and my ambitions and my hopes and my talents, everything I got on Jesus. And God works in us to give us desires for Jesus, passions for Jesus, so we don't do it begrudgingly, like, I have to give this up, but, but willingly, yes, with tears, yes, with maybe measures of regret, but willingly, because he is worth it. That's Christianity. And that's what's happened to maybe the person who brought you to church today, that you're trying to figure out about them. Dear brother, sister, I'm not asking you, would you like to suffer? Nobody here wants to suffer. I'm not asking you, would you like to face hardship? But I am asking you, if you're willing to follow the Lord, are you willing to follow the Lord even if it entails those things? And remember, loved ones, he makes it worth it. He makes it worth it. Matthew 11 and, or 19 and 29, he says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. I love that. We'll receive a hundredfold. So yeah, there's going to be things you're going to give up for Jesus. But the gain will far outweigh what you give. Because you'll have him and all the blessings that come with him. And <laughs> eternal life. Just, oh, and that too. <laughs> is he worth it? Yes. Yes, he is. And these are the people that God delights to use. People who are willing to sacrifice for service. Others-oriented, Christ-centered, gospel-focused, willing to sacrifice because he's worthy. Closing question. Which of those four things do you need especially to pray about right now? You say, well, all of them, all of them. I love your heart. 
I hear you. But you got to start somewhere. Which of those things do you think especially? Maybe it's being others-oriented. I need to get my eyes off of me and to be looking to others. Maybe it's Christ-centered. i got to get Jesus at the center of my life. I've got to focus on him. I need him to remind me it's all about him. Maybe it's gospel-focused, committed to the gospel. You know what, Lord, I am being pulled in so many different directions. You call me, you call us as a church to one thing. Help me, God, to be about that thing. Maybe it's about sacrifice. And in that case, your prayer is, Lord, you are worthy. Convict me in my heart that it's true. That I would cling to you with gladness and joy. And have, open-handed, have an open-handed relationship with the other things along the way. Father, I pray that you would so move in our church that just as you have been doing these things already, even for 10 years, in this church, Lord, that you would do them again and do them more in us. Do it in us now. We want to be a church that's useful to you. Lord, would you work in us to make us the people more and more that are useful to your service. And we pray this in the matchless, glorious name of Jesus. Amen.